Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now on with the show. I try to be a friend, a friend who offers some advice to uh, to, to to the traveller who is in somewhere new uh, and doesn't know may may not know what to do. Maybe feeling a bit anxious, may need you know a reliable friend to say, "Hey, check out this place," or you know, "This is an interesting bit of context." But really, you know, the the, the, the aim for us is to empower people to travel. Hey everybody and welcome back to One Step Beyond, a show all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. My name is Tony Fletcher and if you heard a little bit of emphasis on the word back there, as if uh, we've been away for a while, well we were away for one more uh, month than usual. It's usually this show is running monthly and I've got to tell you, my April 2023 was the craziest month I have had. So it felt like in decades, it was largely self-inflicted with too much uh, different competing adventures, ventures and work and indeed even college courses. And much as I love doing these podcasts, I have two of them. They're ultimately a labor of love and I had to stay true to the deadlines that really, really matters in my life. But I hope you didn't miss us too much. And you know what? We got a great episode here today. I'm glad to come back with this. It was something I've been planning on doing for a while. And that is talking to Shafiq Medji. He is a travel writer. Of course, that was his voice you heard at the start there. And I'm trying to remember, I think I came across him after hearing randomly through a show I listened to, something about Bolivia and feeling really compelled to learn more about Bolivia and know more about it and thinking, wow, this is a country I knew so little about that I'd really like to visit maybe on my next journey to South America. And then I guess either I searched and found Shafiq's book, um, Crossed Off the Map, Travels in Bolivia, or I just randomly uh, heard him on the podcast or maybe searched and heard him on a podcast. And I was like, this guy's got a lot to talk about. And he's from South London and uh, he's bound to be a Crystal Palace fan. So, you know, I'll get him on the show. And Shafiq was more than happy to do that. Now, he was also very happy to talk about the process of becoming a travel writer, a travel journalist. And I need to say that for all that um, Shafiq has uh, co-authored, as he will tell us during this particular interview, 40 guidebooks in total. But he has been able to gravitate away from the sort of guidebook work, uh, important as that is, and certainly his mainstay as it has been, into writing the kind of pieces I think a lot of us would like to write. And if we knew we couldn't write them, we would love to read. He writes for the likes of BBC Travel, Wanderlust, The Guardian, Lonely Planet, Time Out, Adventure.com, that's a good one, that, Culture Trip, Rough Guides, as we mentioned, uh, well, we haven't mentioned, but uh, he's written a lot of uh, Rough Guides, Atlas Obscura, great name, 
and National Geographic Traveller, The Huff Post, and, and I mean, listen, listen, tons more tonic. I think it might be a drinks mag, all kinds of things. Um, but there are some really good stories there, and I encourage you to get to his website. I'll have a link in the show notes, but it's shafikmedji.com. Get straight on over to the article section and read some of this because we had such a good time talking about um, just becoming a travel writer, what it's entailed, and how damn hard work it was for him. Uh, it required a lot of patience, persistence, uh, a certain amount of luck and serendipity, confidence, uh, a refusal to give in, and you know, some maybe even some coincidence at at the end before he could actually get a foothold. And that was even even with being trained as a journalist. So, you know, spoiler alert, it's not an easy thing to get into, and I didn't think it would be, which is one reason I wanted to talk to him about it. So with that, we're going to jump on in. I do want to say welcome to anybody who's brand new, and there may be some people who are brand new this time around. I should have been just after this episode comes out, featured on one of my favorite travel shows, and it's a big one. It's Zero to Travel with Jason Moore. I was thrilled that he asked to have me on. We had a wonderful conversation. It was a few months back now, so I'm trusting it came out just fine. But listen, I was really honored to be on there. And if you are one of those people who's come over from Jason's excellent show, uh, scroll on down and have a look at our previous episodes. Or if you're on your computer, I guess you'll just uh, do much the same thing, actually, won't you? You'll scroll on down. And I'm really proud of a lot of what we've done over the three years that we've been on this show. I do kind of use a royal we, but whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of it there's been a really good variety it does tend to fall back somewhere into sort of like travel and outdoor exercise and also like I say positively engaging with the world outside our door and I'm glad to say that Shafiq is somebody who really does work to positively engage and so with that enjoy the interview I'll see you on the other side Shafiq, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks, Tony. All the best for being to you. Yeah, lovely. I thought I would start with what we have in common, and which includes, I believe, and then we're going to dive into these, I do believe we both have South London connections, that neither of us took a gap year when we finished uh, secondary education, but did later on in life, and we share a love of football. So, oh, and we could also possibly each, I mean, I'm saying the possibly from my perspective, the definitely from yours, stake a claim to being professional writers. So we have some, we have some things in common. Yeah, absolutely. Four, four, four ticks there. Yeah. And um, I would be quite happy to speak to you for the, uh, about football, about South London, <laughs> uh, well, about the, the joys and sometimes, uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, pain of writing. But um, yeah, I, I'll try and stick to the topic at hand. Well, I did want to ask, where, where in South London are you? Where do, where do you live in South London? Do you, have you moved around South London? Yeah, so, so I, I grew up in Streatham Tolls Hill wow. area in, in South West London, and I've lived in Brixton for, for many years, but I've made the huge jump, um, which will probably be only relevant to Londoners, from South West London to South East London. So I'm in a, a, a lovely spot called Hither Green, which is in Lewisham Borough at the moment. And uh, yeah, we've had some sunshine today, uh, spring weather, um so uh so yeah so for all, all for all my travels 
you know, I'm, I'm very much a South Londoner at heart. And uh, yeah, um, I yeah. love going away, but I love coming back again. Yeah, so Streatham, Streatham Tulse Hill is very close to my background. And in fact, uh, most trips still get down to West Norwood. But I went to school at a school that's actually closing uh, this summer, I believe, Archbishop Ken- Tennyson's up at Kennington Oval, um, which I, I heard is closing. And, but anyway, I went to school. There. A lot of my friends were from Streatham and uh, don't know, you know, didn't spend so much time in Lewisham, but we have that in common. Although, obviously, we're going to talk about actually when we when we leave home for the most part. I'm uh, I'm curious. Uh, uh, well, let me actually ask you this one first. Do that you, you you have mentioned on a couple of other podcasts your love of football. What's your team? Uh, well, now as, as a South Londoner, my my team should be Crystal Palace. It that's, should that, be. That, that was geographically that's that's who I should support. Yeah. Um, but my team is Liverpool and. The, the reason for that is um, uh, the first game I saw live was at Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, and it was, a, it was against Liverpool. And uh, I saw John Barnes play. And um, uh, as soon as I saw John Barnes play, uh, my my team was <laughs> set for life. So um, I still have a lot of affection for um, for, for Crystal Palace. Um, I get down there. I, I get down there a, a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, Liverpool are the team of my heart. Although. Um, this season has been a bit of a uh, trying one, to say the least. Uh, yeah, it has been, to say the least. And uh, there may be people listening and say, hang on, uh, what's this got to do with the show? But I think it's going to lead because uh, we, we we have a universal topic in football, which I think you know is is very, very much the case. Having travelled myself, it's, it's an icebreaker. It's a conversation piece everywhere in the world. And as opposed, as, as for the gap year, when did you take your gap year? Yeah, I mean, again, I didn't do things in the typical typical order for this. Um, and actually, it, it relates to football because, you know, throughout my childhood, throughout my teenage years, I wanted to be a footballer. But um, unfortunately, I uh, it, it turned out that I didn't quite have the natural talent to uh, to make it. So um, I thought, well, what would be the next best thing? And I thought, well, being paid to, to write about it, being paid to go to the games and write match reports and do player interviews for, for newspapers. So I was set on a career in sports journalism from, a, uh, for, from quite a young age, all the way through my um, uh, schooling, throughout university. Um, yeah, and, 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 and after, after university, I started work on, a, uh, on one of the London papers, the Evening Standards. Um, yeah, covering... South London teams predominantly, um, but uh, but yeah, but I'd never taken a gap year, and um, you know, kind of wanderlust was was kind of kicking in at that point. So after about a year there, um, my girlfriend at the time was keen to go travelling and was nudging me and urging me and showing me photos of India and South America, and uh, yeah, so I, I I kind of bit the bullet and took a impromptu gap year, as I describe it took a year off traveling around India and uh, around South America. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. You had only been at the standard, you're saying, for about a year when you did that? Yeah, for about a year, a year or so. I, I, I did their training scheme. So I spent six months on the Nottingham Evening Post covering uh, uh, magistrates' courts and, uh, you know, writing up local colour stories and learning a huge, huge amount. Uh, yeah, and then I came back to London to, uh, to to work on the standard as a news reporter and then as a sports reporter. Right. 
So it, it is of interest to me because we've, we, there's so many angles we could, uh, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of them with you, but uh, when I come up with the right snappy title, it'll be up and, and, and on front of this podcast. So we're going to talk about what it, you know, being a travel writer and uh, what that involves and also how one sort of gets there. Now, it sounds to me that uh, unlike, uh, well, no, I probably like the majority of journalists, you went through kind of college to become a journalist. I mean, if you left college and went straight into a sort of training thing or working on a local paper, does that mean you left with uh, journalism qualifications that you studied the art of reporting on magistrates' courts, et cetera? Yeah, well, so, I mean, after after school, I went to, I, I did a politics and international relations degree um, mm. at university. But while, while I was there, I spent an awful lot of my time working on the um, the student newspaper, which was called the Warwick Boar, and I was a sports editor there. Um, and um, I did lots of work experience. I did work experience on Sky Sports. I did work experience on the, the now sadly defunct 90 Minutes football magazine. Um, mm-hmm. And then after, after um, doing, doing my degree, I came back to London to City University, where I got the, a bursary from The Guardian to do a newspaper journalism uh, postgraduate course. So I did that for a year and that's where I kind of started to learn the ropes and learned shorthand um, and learned media law and um, you know did, did lots and lots of exercises before being sent out properly into the field. Um, All right, I'm, I'm really curious because I'm somebody who came at this from a very different perspective and a lot of people I know did as well, although I, I certainly do know people who came uh, went through university for it but uh just you know i came to it from starting a fanzine at a very young age and lo and behold next i knew i was i was running this fanzine and and writing uh and quite you know i know quite a lot of writers who've come sort of similarly almost like people who don't go to college to do music and end up doing music for for their lives uh we are here to talk about travel but as part of what set you up to eventually become a travel writer uh, do you find, would you recommend if somebody's going to say, you know, yeah, it looks like a glamorous life and we'll get to whether it is or not, but it looks like a glamorous life. Would you say, well, listen, take some conventional courses and training in how to be a writer and all that that entails? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I found my grounding in journalism hugely useful um, in my in my travel writing and in my you know other non 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 fiction work, not least the uh, you know the morbid fear of missing a deadline, which you know it keeps you keeps you honest, but also you know lots of practice with interviewing people and and, and interviewing people, telling people stories is a huge part of my my travel writing. That's normally where the best stories come from, in my my opinion. And journalism was a great uh, a great backing for that. So um, you know, and the other thing, and particularly if you're going to be a, a freelance writer, you know, learning how to you know juggle your schedules and you know plan your time effectively. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I took I, I've taken a lot out of my grounding in journalism, and um, it is something I'd recommend. The caveat is, you know, journalism courses were expensive when I did them. I was lucky to get a bursary from The Guardian, which paid for my fees. They're even more expensive now. So, um, you know, it's 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 unfortunately that 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 helps to limit the uh, profession. One of the one of one of the areas or one of the barriers that limits the profession to many people. But um, it's it's been incredibly useful for my uh, for my actually- life and work. Wonderful. Do they actually teach you there how to juggle your time and meet your meet your deadlines? Because maybe that's something I should have done over the years. 
it, it's, it's more something you just learn by proxy, pretty much. Um, and, partic- and particularly like lo- working on local newspapers and, you know, local local newspapers in the UK, I imagine it's similar in the US, are, um, are struggling a bit at the moment. But the, the, the sheer range of stories that you work on at the same time, the, um, you know, some quite slim pickings that you have to turn into an interest in a readable article, you know, you're always, they're always um, understaffed. So you're always doing too much work and you're doing long hours um and yeah that's really really good practice for um i think i think being being a professional writer sure of of any kind now i was suggesting that travel writing can sound glamorous but at the same time so can sports writing particularly if you're around the glamorous sports and you're saying uh, that like most of us in the world you would love to have been Lionel messi but you're not Lionel messi uh or indeed anybody that can uh, do anything better than actually sit on the other side of a table from him and hope that one day you get to meet him and ask him questions. So uh, why turn your back on sports writing? Uh, there's plenty of travel involved in it. And I'm curious whether when you took that year out uh, and you said it was India and South America, uh, in India they, they, they play football, but they don't, not in a big way. Uh, not in a big, big way. Of course, in South America, it is even more the uh, yeah more important than life than it is in Europe. So, how did you sort of like? I mean, I'm kind of curious of those differences. And and was it that trip that made you come home and say, I don't want to do sports anymore? Because just like I say, it feels like hey, sports sports journalism is a pretty good one. Sports aren't going to go away. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and you know, and and sports writing, it absolutely on the surface sounds. Sound, sounds very glamorous and I did love doing it as well I should say you know it was it's, it's wonderful going to the matches and um you know meeting the players meeting the um the, the managers as well but it's also you know writing, writing match reports you know for for tight schedules if you're covering a match in an evening you've got a you know you, you you've got to um submit your article the first draft of your article on the final whistle near enough you know it's incredibly incredibly pressured so you don't actually enjoy the games that you're watching so much you know, if if you if you're watching as a fan, as a neutral say, and you get a last minute winner and a, an incredible comeback in injury time, that's great. That's wonderful entertainment. If you're working as a uh, as a you know sports journalist and you're trying to write a match report on it, and you've already written two thirds, if not three quarters of your match by the time the uh, clock ticks to about eighty five minutes, a last minute goal and a sudden turnaround is an absolute nightmare. So um, it's, it, it was it was very very intense. Bouts of bouts of work, and um, you, you didn't perhaps enjoy it as much as, um, as 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 much as that you did enjoy the sport beforehand. Um, and, and it was definitely that trip that that, that persuaded me to um, to change change careers. You know, it, it really reiterated my love of um, my love of travel, which my, you know I'd been on holidays and um, things with my with my family, and that really instilled a, a love of travel from a young age but it was this trip that really kind of opened opened my mind up to possibilities of and the pleasures of travel can you tell um, can you can you elaborate a little bit why i've uh, probably bored some of my listeners silly talking about the year that we we took out in 2016 and you have much much later in life and there were reasons that, it, that that i didn't get to do it before and there were reasons why the only way to really get to see the places that I wanted to see was to realize we needed to make it a year long journey, see if we could actually turn it into an adventure and rent out our house and still, you know, like, like couldn't afford to just 
go to Thailand for two weeks with with a family, but you could maybe afford it if you were coming over from Malaysia. And you, you know, so without getting too deep into that, for me, much, much, much later, but you're taking this trip, what, your mid-20s? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would have been, yeah, kind of early to mid-20s. Okay, so I would have met plenty of people your age. And I did meet some people, and I remember meeting one one person in particular who was, uh, he'd been in the city of London for about a year, by which I mean for, for overseas listeners working in London's equivalent of Wall Street for about a year and said, you know, I saw the whole of my life ahead of me. I could see exactly what was going to happen to me, how I, my career is going to progress, how I was going to settle down, the whole thing. I went, no, I need to see the world and find out if that's what I want to do. I need to get out and see the world first. And I was like full of admiration for that. And it sounds like you were in that kind of similar vein to some extent. But what was what were some of the things that just blew you away and said, I want a career in this? I mean, I, I think, first of all, it was just it was the sense of freedom, really, of being able to plot my my own routes and to travel wherever I wanted to stay at a whim longer in one place and head off in another. and. Um, and, and yeah, and I absolutely love that. And I love meeting meeting so many so many different people that you know, even in as you know as, as global a city as London is. You, you when you're traveling, you meet so many so many different types of people. You immerse yourselves in different cultures. Obviously, it's great fun as well. There's beautiful scenery. You know, you do incredibly enjoyable activities. Rio Carnival, you can't not but love. You know, the, the beaches of Goa are, are, are wonderful. Hiking the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, all of these things are just in and of themselves wonderful experiences. But, um, you know, I, I, it, it just, I think I just got bitten by the travel bug at that, at that point, really. And it was, it was the sense that, that you know, and I'm sure you've, you've found it, I think lots of travellers find it, that the more you travel, the more you realise both you don't know and you more that there is to discover you know you never reach the end of the road there's always further to go and i love that um and um you know and, and with south america particularly it was a place that i'd always been interested in for the football you know first first and foremost and i went to you know watch a game of the maracanã the great maracanã in, in in rio while i was there but i was also fascinated when i was growing up in ancient cultures such as the inca you know these you know, incredible temples and the stories behind it. And I also love David Attenborough wildlife documentaries. So I was fascinated by places like the Amazon, like the Galapagos, like Patagonia. Um, and it was all of those things that kind of kind of combined to give me an interest in South America beforehand. And then when I was there, you know, mind blown, basically. And um, you know, and and and, and you know, the, the 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 means that I used to travel in those. Those days were guidebooks. I had a Lonely Planet and I had a rough guide. And, um, you know, and I just, just remember thinking, whoever writes these must have an incredible, incredible job. You know, I, I, I wonder who does it. That would be great. Perhaps I could do it. And, right. Um, so you came you came back. By the way, the Macarana Stadium in uh, in Rio is uh, the only place in all my travels I've been attacked and robbed. 
Um, I would I would just say that I was actually with uh, a best friend from South London who was a Rio uh, resident at the time, and uh, I guess we probably, in some ways, inadvertently asked for it, but he didn't even witness it. I got my watch stolen off me and punched and kicked around, punched around a little bit on the way out. So um, I did learn a little bit about Rio's uh, reputation. It's well earned reputation there. Uh, anyway, that's what we probably got for going and sitting in with the home fans. Uh, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, but I have heard similar stories actually in the past. I think I was probably quite lucky when I went there, and it was very, very heavily, heavily policed, and you, you end up walking through some quite shady areas to um, to get there. But um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm sorry it sullied your your experience of you know what is what is one of the world's great football stadiums. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, a separate topic we could always have off off camera, but you is therefore you're in on your travels you're with your girlfriend right is the two of you or uh, my girlfriend at the time yes it was just yeah, the yeah. two of us yeah so just the two of you um i'm i'm going to make an assumption because it's not but it's important for when you're writing about things i'm going to make an assumption you're backpacking and you're doing this on the cheap and that you would share the message that hey this is not as expensive as you think you just jump on the local bus you, you know if you if you're bringing sterling pounds sterling or dollars if that's your where you where you come from, it's going to go a long way in India and South America. So there's a kind of assumption on that, and you're nodding your head. Um, but we've just talked about hey, football writing can be glamorous. Were you were you naive enough to think well, travel writing will be more glamorous than, than writing about uh, writing about football, or or did it immediately turn out to be the case? As much, I mean, really to the point. How does one start? Because uh, I, I, you maybe need to give me a year on this, but my sense is great, Lonely Planet. And then you would call Lonely Planet, or you'd email them, and they'd say, yeah, sure, we'll give you, and you look at this sum, and you say, I can't afford to do that, because my assumption, and from what I've heard from other people, is that travel writing sounds so glamorous that so many people want to do it that it doesn't need to be well paid, even if it's a top publication. They don't need to be throwing money at people to just say, hey, I stayed in this hotel. So can you elaborate on all of that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the short answer is sadly, you're correct. And, um, you know, beforehand, I had just the same, you know, expectations and I guess, you know, um, you know, stereotypes um, as, as, as many people who are outside of the industry will have. I thought, oh, this is just a glamorous it's a glamorous job. I didn't really think too much about about the pay, but I probably should have put more um, thought into it at that point. But um, yeah, it, it is it is not a well paid um, profession, sadly, with some with some exceptions. Um, and um, yeah, and it's an awful lot of work. You do an awful, you know, if you're researching a guidebook, and I've done about forty odd over the uh, over over the years. Um, you know, you, you're working constantly. You work seven days a week. You're working all day. I mean, the, these these books when they're at their best um you know are just jam-packed with information and there's always there's always space to include more in so if you broke it down as a uh, you know an hourly wage there's plenty of other kind of you know <laughs> jobs that i would be earning considerably more in if i you know stay stay back at home um and and it isn't sadly as glamorous as it is either you know you spend an inordinate amount of time uh sitting in bus stations, sitting in ferry terminals, sitting in airports, um, you know, often laptop on your knee, writing up while you're waiting for something that's been uh, uh, heavily delayed already. Uh, you never have quite enough time in places um, and, and, and so on. 
but and there's always a but with these things um it's also an incredible experience because it it it, it does immerse you into these in, in into countries it takes you to places that you would you would never see otherwise uh, you have to meet so many wonderful people and particularly with the guidebooks slightly lesser with the um you know with 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 feature writing but with the guidebooks you get the privilege of going back to places you know every two and a half to three years to work on the next issue so you get to see places develop and change sometimes for the better sometimes not um and, and you just by osmosis you pick up and absorb so much about the the country and the cultures and the politics and the sports and the food and the history um you know and if you're a curious person if you're interested in the world um there's not many better experiences than that yeah well you sold you sold me in that regard but uh when you were first starting out did you find i mean i am you know because i think that a lot of people would love to do this and then i might like to hope there might be some people listening and say well i i want to go travel i have traveled how can i ride up this experience uh did you literally just start gathering up as many contacts as you could and just like pitch a lonely planet editor and say hey I, I'm a sports writer. I've got some qualifications, but I want to write about, and you and you pitch them on an idea. I mean, you, you know, it's incredibly. People often ask me how I started, and I say, well, I kind of went around it a different way. I actually just published my own fanzine back in the days that you could. Uh, it's such a different story. My doing that, that yeah. Do you do, you know? Are you literally knocking on doors saying, hey, I'm a dissatisfied sports writer. Let me in. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. It was it. Again, I thought the, the the process would be easier than, than, than it proved to be. And again, this is, I think, where I fell back on my journalism experience of being persistent. And, and persistence was the key. So when I got back to the um, got back to the UK and got back to London, I I wrote wrote emails and phoned up uh, every single travel publisher uh, and magazine and newspaper section um and and website that you can possibly think of and I, I wrote reams and reams of sample chapters thousands and thousands of words of sample articles um you know i sent email after email and follow-up email and follow-ups to the follow-up emails um you know try to ring out any possible contact that, that i could find and i had no luck for a year mm, Not, really, for, for an entire year an entire year wow and, in fact, the only response I got was from uh, an editor at Lonely Planet who got back to say, "Thanks for writing for us. We'll keep your CV on file," and then and then that was it. Um, so you know, I was persistent, but I was being a bit downhearted by 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 the end of the year. But um, but at, but at that point, I got out out of the blue someone from um, um, uh, a secretary or an editorial assistant who just started work at. Rough guides got in touch and said, "I, oh, um, I just found your unopened letter that you sent to one of our editors six months previously. Sorry, we haven't got back to you. Um, I showed it to my, you know, one of the commission editors. And would you like to come in for a for a chat? And essentially, that was my 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 foot in the foot in the door. And I I went in for a chat, and um, yeah, through that came my um, um, came my first first commission." Which was on the rough guide to the Baltic states covering Estonia, which uh, and again, this is where luck comes in. I just happened to have 
been there a couple of times just on holidays in in um with some friends over the over the previous year so really? um, so, so it, no sorry i didn't mean to interrupt but really after a year were you close to giving up at that point yeah i mean i you know i, I i'd be lying if i didn't say i was feeling downhearted and i thought you know i'd done quite a lot as as a, as a news and sports journalist for you know quite well-known, well-known, you know, national newspapers and, you know, citywide newspapers. So I was feeling a bit downhearted and obviously, you know, I needed to, needed to work at that, at that time. So, um, uh, yeah, so it kind of, it, it was, you know, it was, it was, I, I would say it's down to persistence, but also a bit of serendipity, really. It was, it's, it, it's and, uh, and I think, unfortunately, there's, and it's the same today, by and large, that there were no, you know meritocratic routes into the industry so much of it is down to who you know and if you don't you know have contacts which the vast majority of people don't sadly you um you just have to kind of you know work hard be persistent but also um hope for a bit of luck right and you're talking to me about literally a piece of mail good old-fashioned mail that was sitting on a desk unopened or are you talking about an email that was unopened this this was this was a physical physical letter, um, but I mean I also sent countless emails as well. So rough guides would have got you know reams and reams of material, kind of digital and um, and and uh, you know and printed from me um, as well as as well as phone calls. Do you think there was maybe a sense that because uh, I'm assuming you did this in the digital age when people were primarily emailing and, and possibly still phone calling, which I missed some of that, to be honest. But uh, do you think that actually your your the fact that you had sent a good old fashioned snail mail may have actually stood out and somebody said, who's who's sending us mail in this day and age and opened it? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, because I'd also sent emails that hadn't been responded to for, to to that same office. So, um, so, so yeah. And you know, who 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 starts a new job and looks at your predecessor's unread email from six months before from someone who has no connection to the company and thinks, oh yeah, I'll get I'll get back in touch with them and follow them up. Um, I think it was definitely it was it was the physical nature of the the letter that that um, yeah was was one of the things that paid off, and also that the you know that that editorial assistant was diligent and keen to keen to follow up. Right. And probably keen to make an impression and say, hey, I found somebody. Uh, that is actually a great story. It's not something I'd heard uh, in terms of doing my own research on you. And I think it does speak to just uh, to sort of life lessons is that there's a very thin line between being persistent and being a pain. And uh, you can only kind of find that line through experience. Um, you need a couple of people telling you to stop calling. And you also need to know sort of how to keep just pushing when you think, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's almost like an art form. And so you, you, you know, you edge your way in. And just to ask like for uh, a, a quick point right now, uh, and then I think we'll, we'll get into depth on one of these. You mentioned about your first one being on Estonia. Uh, so you got asked to write about Estonia and that was serendipitous because you said, oh, okay, I know something about it. And then, but you also said you've co-authored, uh, about 40 of these books in co-authoring. Does that mean they are asking different writers to write about different regions of a country? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so on, I think every guide that I've worked on has been multi-authored. So, um, uh, the very first one, the rough guide to the Baltic States, there were two of us doing it but um for a guy but like india 
you know, sometimes there would be, you know, say say as many as as, as eight as eight people, uh, seven or eight people working on it, and it's purely just because of you know, look, look at a map and look how big it big India is, and you want the information to be as update up to date as possible. It's impossible for for anyone to cover any, you know, any any country in in, in its entirety, um, and then and do and write the book at the same time and make it uh, make it topical. So. Um, so yeah, so all, all, all of the all of the books have been um, co-authored, which is always great fun, actually, because you know, particularly when I was starting off, I was the you know I was the youngest and the greenest of all the all the writers on it, and and some of them have been doing it for you know since the very first rough guides back in eighty two, I believe, um, you know, and they had incredibly they they'd been everywhere, they'd had these incredible experiences and they'd written the book to uh, <laughs> about it as well so um you know and they were and, and they were wonderful to work with they're very generous with their time and their experiences and their contacts and their you know and their expertise and they put up with all my persistent questions um so, so are, are there those people that you're actually kind of uh, emailing with because presumably if you're writing about you know you mentioned goa earlier so let's just say you were writing about goa somebody else is writing about west bengal on the other side of the country so so this is somebody it's like okay i know they're working on the same book as me uh can i get their email and pick their brains a little bit is that what it is yeah it, it was like that but it Although, funnily enough, in in there, there, there was a, another South London. Everything comes back to South London. <laughs> there, there, there's actually, you know, and near where I live at the moment, there's a disproportionate number of um, travel writers, including including uh, um, some who I worked on on my second guidebook, which was Rough Guide to India. So I, I was lucky to meet some of them um, kind of face-to-face beforehand. But there's lots and lots of the titles that I work in, I work on, that I've, you know, some people I've only ever met in Kathmandu or mm. in Santiago or in Patagonia. Um, you know, sometimes even when you're living in the same city, <laughs> you know, right. someone else who's London-based just because you're, you know, you're, 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 but your paths only cross um, somewhere abroad. Um, but but also, you know, as you say, a, a lot of these relationships are via email, and you actually, it's quite, it's quite funny, really. You, know, you build up quite close relationships with people that you've never met. In some cases, you've never spoken to, you know, even through even through you know a, a, a video video call or over the phone. So um, yeah, but but I mean, guidebooks are very much team efforts. Uh, let's just have some fun, and I want to ask you, you know, what give us give us one of your own absolute favorite memories of traveling that is not out of the guidebook. It's not oh, I scaled Machu Picchu, I went to the beach in Goa. What was the other one you mentioned? Oh, yeah, yeah. Going to Macarana and uh, hopefully not getting your watch ripped off your, uh, off your wrist and, uh, and punched a bit in the meantime. But what's something that you're like, that was never in the travel books. And that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's the, uh, that's the priceless experience. That's the credit card priceless experience. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. It, it's, uh, I'm often asked kind of these things and also whether there's things that you experience when you're away. That you don't put in the guidebooks or you don't put in the features because you're you know you're worried about spoiling them or you're worried about um or you just want to keep it to yourself um and yeah sometimes sometimes that that is the case and actually you know on the surface of it these these places don't often sound like the most you know you know glamorous places or but um but there's just something special about it. there's just a, a vibe like a local you know a local place that serves incredible yogurt on one of the back streets of 
Kathmandu in you know behind mm. an ancient temple that only serves local people that there's no menu and that uh you know you perhaps get a quizzical look while you're while you're there it's places like that that you know and and that you actually you know you you, you sit there for a while you know you you drink your drink or you have you have your your, your meal you and you, you think well I've, I've i've experienced something a small thing about that that kind of shines a light into the culture of the place that 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 I'm in. So it's always, it's my, my favorite places are always local joints, places off the beaten track um, that people don't really go to, uh, that, that, you know, that you often stumble upon, that you don't go with a fixed idea to find. And, um, you know, and particularly those that are hidden away that you think, well, I'm not entirely sure how, how do I get back to my guest house at the end? How will I find, you know, all of these kind of places um so so yeah so I, I i i love that there's lots of places kind of in in nepal and india that are like that um and so i have you know question being do sorry question being uh do you share them i sorry i just wanted to get that in i didn't mean to interrupt again but do you do you share them or are you tempted are you tempted to say look if i tell people where you get the best yogurt translated for the yanks here as yogurt um in the back street in Kathmandu, i'm going to ruin it because because it's Blooming Lonely Planet or Rough Guide and 300 people are going to show up at once. What, what do you decide to do in that situation? Yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 the answer is sometimes. And so, <laughs> so there's definitely, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely places that I've, um, you know, just kept away, tucked away in my back pocket, in my memory, really, um, that, uh, you know, just think, yeah, they, 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 it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need the exposure that, that's, being included in a, in a guidebook or in a, you know in a high circulation article be but also there are often these places that again you just have to be there and experience <laughs> it that reading about it doesn't doesn't sell it sell it to you and and and, and kind of it's it's the, the 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 chance encounters you have i often have that kind of you know going into a you know a, a bar in a you know market town that's you know that you i'm you know somewhere in Middle Chile, for example, that uh, I'm just changing changing buses. People don't really go there. It's just a transport hub. Um, but you know, I'm trying to find the, the football results. Trying to find somewhere that you know a bar that might be showing some of the, the the games. And often things like that, you know, you end up asking around. It forces you to talk to people and get into you know. And um, uh, it's those kind of experiences where where you think, ah, oh, this is you know, this is this is this is a this is actually a you know. A, you know, quote unquote, authentic taste of uh, you know life in the country that you're, you're you're experiencing. So, um, and you think, well, you know, I, one I wouldn't want to spoil it, but also these kind of places you have to find for yourself, right? You can't, can't be guided to it. I agree, and I would actually like to just uh, pass on uh, an anecdote I know I haven't told before. It's not something I've 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 written up, but I, I think it may speak to the value and the non-value. Of travel books because we were in um in india and it was the city is it mangalore right mangalore is the coastal city and we were on our way to get into karnataka and go inland and we had an overnight uh hotel that we we stayed at there and that journey worked out okay coming down from goa and this was really the start of our pretty much the start of our like doing this on our own. We, we, we sort of eased into a lot of it. And I had what I, um, I, I do assume was Lonely Planet. 
and I know most of your your books have been rough guides, so you can you can always you know opt out of this one, say hey, not 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 my lot. But they they wrote about like this this hotel that had this like great restaurant, great breakfast, etc. I'm like, well, we'll go here. That's what we do. Our bus isn't till midday, so we're going to go here. So we go to this place, and it's kind of like just a we just stayed at a business hotel that doesn't have a uh, a restaurant, but it's kind of like a business hotel. And we go up to the second floor and we order something, and then but nobody comes at first, and we're looking around and we're like this feels just like awful. It feels like actually funny enough, like a a British railway station sort of or some like school lunch, something just like not, it's just not working out. We ordered something, nobody showed. And I felt really bad that I was messing up our first sort of one of our first experiences. So I said, we just got to leave. I mean, it doesn't look like they're in a hurry to bring us anything. So we leave and we walk around and we had noticed that we'd walked along this, this, this road and from an alleyway, somebody had been standing outside. It was obviously a hole in the wall food place. And he kind of smiled at us. And so we, we just said, you know, that guy smiled at us. Maybe he was hoping for our business. So we went back and went down there, and it was a hole in the wall. It was one of those places you got in London, in New York, everywhere, just a little tiny, you know, the equivalent of a sandwich bar. And the guy fed us like royalty. And at one rather hilarious point, my uh, son asked if he could get more orange juice, but our, our language barrier was such that he heard that uh, as eggs. And we were wondering why he went out to get more, you know, like, like, is he literally buying the orange juice? Because in India, they, they make a lot of their own juice. You know, they, they crush it, they, they literally, yeah, pulp it in front of you. And he came back with eggs. Um, but that's actually how willing and keen he was to make this impression. And I'm, I'm left thinking, so two, you know, you, you verify that it's the holes in the walls. It's these little places that provide the best experiences. But I think it also speaks to one of several times I had where I had to say, you know what? Lonely Planet is useful and Rough Guide is useful. And whatever book has been left in your traveler's hotel that you picked up for free and it's getting you through your journey is useful, but it is not the Bible. Yeah, I, the, the way I've always viewed guidebooks as a, as a, as a writer is that, um, you know, I try to be a friend, <laughs> a friend who offers some advice to, uh, to, to, to the traveller who is in somewhere new uh, and doesn't know, may, may not know what to do, maybe feeling a bit anxious, may need, you know, a reliable friend to say, hey, check out this place or, you know, this is an interesting bit of context. But really, you know, the, the the aim for us is to empower people to travel right so mm -hmm. so this is you know the almost the clues in the world it's 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 a guide but as you say it's not a bible right and it's a jumping off point and um you know no guidebook to any destination can, can cover everything even in the smallest in the smallest town or village there's always other things that you that, that you can't can't uh, include so we always try and you know include some of our personal favorites some of the you know what we we judge as the best or the best value but um but yeah it, it's it's for, for the recommendations don't you know it, it hopefully it just kind of gives people the confidence a bit of a foot in you know a reliable place when it's raining or if you need to grab a bite to eat before your night bus departs but um but it but they're jumping off points really they're, right. they're kind of saying yeah get out and go and travel you can you can do it you know, we we're here to offer some advice. You've got us as a as a fallback, but you know, if you if you found a great back street, you know, hole in the wall place, you know, follow your nose. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there are quite a few experiences like that. And I would also just throw in something that can only be sort of put in overall chapters in guidebooks is that uh, immersing yourself is really the best experience. And, and, and for me, all my favorite experiences to travel have tended to come on the, on the journey. It's like being on a bus that you didn't expect to be on and having a conversation with somebody that you would never otherwise have met who happens to speak your language or maybe doesn't speak your language or somebody's offering to help you and you get into a conversation and you find some common ground. Uh, for myself, being a bit of a, a wanderer and a runner, you know, I, I, I've come across uh, for all the experience I had in Rio, you know, I, I've, I've gone through some areas and found people so friendly and had kids, you know, run alongside me and ask me which football team I support, that kind of thing, because they want to practice their English. And you're like, you can't get these moments unless you just decide to take the take take this adventure into your own hands and stop walking around with a guidebook and uh, and literally, you know, go into the streets and and, you know, you, to some extent, you got to see what happens. I think that. That's just a point I would I would make. Now, uh, doing the, the guidebooks, uh, you know, it's serving a purpose. You're writing up hotels. Like you say, it's not glamorous, but, uh, but you know, you get to hopefully visit beaches and museums and stuff, but you've got to write them all up. You've got to write them in 50 words, et cetera. It's what, in, in any business, you might, uh, uh, if somebody was going to be negative about it, you might call it the hack work. Um, uh, and I, yeah, that's that's an outsider's sort of view. There's equivalence in in every area of writing and journalism. You have been very very successful, and you have gravitated to the kind of writing that I think people would love to be able to aspire to, uh, where you are finding your subjects. They're very environmental. They're very much about the planet. They're they're often a lot of them are saying. You know, you need to visit this place because it's the last one of the last examples of it, or it's endangered, or or this is where this is going on, and workers are being abused. Uh, that that shift, I think, is very important. It's what distinguishes you from somebody who is just co-authoring guidebooks. A was that an easy transition, and B, let's pick out a couple of them, and and whether you want to start off talking about your book. Or you want to just talk about some of these articles first? We're going to get both in, uh, very, very much so. But what, you know, for you making that transition, uh, it, it's a point of just having the confidence to do so, or seeing an issue and saying people need to stop talking about this as a tourist destination and talk about it as as something that needs to be addressed more, even on a news page. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, one, it's just something that I'm always I'm always interested in. Right, I, I, I'm, you know, my I did my degree in politics and international mm. relations, and alongside my travel writing, I, I work for um, NGOs such as Amnesty International. So I've got an interest in, in in the world generally. But I think, you know, if you're a travel writer, you know, you don't. If you just open your eyes, you see everything. You know, the, 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 these places are often written about only from a tourism point of view in the English language press, or predominantly from that. Um, but you know, it, 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 it's it's every every you know all everything's happening around you. So take the climate emergency for example. I think that's it it's impacts everywhere that we go. You know, mm -hmm. whether, whether whether I'm on the you know the edge of the Arctic Circle, or whether I'm in Tierra del Fuego, as I was a few months ago, you see the impact there. And you know, I think travel writers. You know, among others, have a responsibility to to write about that. Not least because of the impact that um, the the tourism industry has on 
you know, on on carbon emissions, but also because we're very lucky to go to these to these places. And you often see places, you know, such as Bolivia, the subject of my book, the one, what I would say, are the front lines of the climate crisis. It feels like the the future has arrived in these places. Um, and you know, although we have we're having a taste of it in 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 the UK, you know, in in yeah, perhaps in parts parts of the US as well, you know, the the, the future has arrived else, elsewhere. Well, let's um, take let's take these. I actually did hear you on that food and drink podcast that you seem to be like a very regular uh, uh, guest on, talking about Tierra del Fuego. Um, it's at the uh, it's at the bottom of the world, right? It's at the bottom of uh, South America, Chile, Argentina. Is it, it's islands. Um, because not everybody's going to know it is islands, am I right? Yeah, so so geographically, so it, it's it's the southern tip of South America, and it's south of Patagonia. So Patagonia typically is typically classed as ending at the Strait of Magellan, and then below that, the continent of South America crumbles into a series mm-hmm. of um, islands and rocky outcrops and channels, such as the Beagle Channel. Um, and I, you know, I love this part of the world. It's it's absolutely stunning. You have pristine wildernesses. You have incredibly isolated cities. I was in Puerto Williams, which is the southernmost city on Earth, barely nine, barely a thousand kilometers north of Antarctica. Uh, Three thousand people, kind of no road access with the rest of uh, with the rest of Chile. Um, and these, these these are absolutely fascinating places the people that live there the histories are fascinating it's stunning for for hiking and outdoor activities um you know and it it, it often feels you know that uh the rest of the world is a long way away but the same issues affect these kind of places as they they do elsewhere and you sit you know you talk to people and think well it's actually the climates are less predictable the seasons are less uh, predictable now we're getting we're getting more heat the snow is coming later in the year the glaciers are looking smaller or or in in retreat you know we're, we're seeing the impact on on the wildlife on on the you know on the fish and so on um and you know i, th- I think as i said if you've got the privilege to be able to visit these these places and also if you want to give the reader an accurate interesting engaging story you need to talk about all of these issues i mean i could just write about it from if you're just going as a, as a you know as, as a visitor with blinkers on and you're just yeah. seeing what can i what can I, what activities i can do i can go kayaking today i can go on a visit the museum tomorrow and i can stay in the hotel and i'm not going to pick up anything else and you know that's it's crazy right so um so i it's, it's all about kind of providing providing the context about right. places um and I'm always key, and this kind of you know leads on from my background in journalism. I love doing interviews, and I love speaking to people, and particularly people that you know whose voices you don't necessarily often hear, particularly in you know in in English language media in in in, in the West. And people got interesting stories to tell, and they're, and they're, and 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 so I like writing about places through the experiences and and you know words of of people at people I meet. Um, yeah, and they've got valuable and interesting things to say. And Tierra del Fuego is a good example of that. Were you uh, commissioned to go there? Because one would assume if it's at the end of the world, it's expensive to get to. And, and and by the way, you did raise a very valid point about, you know, everything's a double-edged sword. And traveling, you know, particularly in a country like the, the United States, you, you know, I'm not the only person who says, God, if we could just find a way to have a sort of almost like a forced 
um, gap year, you know, semester abroad for high school students, like just give them three months living in a family somewhere else in the world, man, this, you know, the country would be improved. Uh, you know, I did have a guest on another, another Brit, Damien Hall, who's just like a, you know, top, top, top ultra runner, but wrote a book about the damage that, that, that just the running community alone does and stopped flying to events. So there is something that's there when you're writing about the environment, you know, you've obviously got to be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what am I contributing by getting here? Maybe to steer away from that and just, just throw it out there. You commissioned to go to Tierra del Fuego or do you have to like just, you know, find your own money to get down there and then sell yeah. the article? Yeah, so so it, it's it's a mixture. On on the, the the last occasion, I was there uh, to work on the new Lonely Planet Guide to Chile. Um, the previous time I visited, um, I was in Patagonia on a commission, and um, I paid my own way um, to to the Argentine and to the Chilean side to to do some to do some research, which I then you know parlayed into articles and 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 and, and that kind of thing um but no but no just to touch on your your, your point briefly absolutely i mean i always the tourism industry has a huge you know huge and often very negative impact on on you know on, in terms of climate emission, uh, carbon emissions and on the climate crisis and it's something that travel writers to be honest and the industry as a whole despite paying some lip service don't really talk about enough or actually take you know you know actions to try and try and resolve it so i see it as you know as, as my my duty that if i'm in these places i need to need to one i need to re recommend and write about um and share my share stories about you know uh, tourism businesses guest houses experiences that have a positive and certainly don't have a negative impact on both the climate but also on indigenous peoples on wildlife and and so on and so forth um but it's it's you, you know we have to we, we all of us have to be talking about it and i think travel writers have a particular responsibility that you know hopefully we'll see more of um you know more of it over coming years and we also have to recognize that you know we all have outsized carbon footprints i certainly i certainly do through through you know almost 15 years of, of working as a travel writer and in the early days i you know wasn't aware of it as much as I should and didn't appreciate it as much as I should. And so, you know, but belatedly, but trying to, you know, make amends and deal with it now. Thank you again to Shafiq. And if that sounded like a little bit more of an abrupt ending than usual, it's because actually it wasn't the ending. We we talked for about another 10, 15 minutes about uh, about Bolivia, about his book. And I tried to get more subjects in. And then I realized, and, and he did as well, we were hopelessly out of time. We were just having such a good conversation. So what I'm going to do is uh, save the bits about Bolivia. And in fact, hopefully uh, get to do them again with Shafiq. Uh, in more detail, because his book is really worth uh, a read and an investigation. And to be honest, I need to finish reading it before I talk to him more about it. I feel like there's a lot more ground for us to cover and that this episode was great in terms of just talking about what's entailed with being a travel writer, what's involved and, and what it takes to get there. Uh, so I feel like job done on this one and we will have Shafiq back very, very soon. I do encourage you all to go visit Shafiq's website. I'll spell it for you, even though uh, there will be a link in the show notes. S-H-A-F-I-K-M-E-G 
H-J-I, so that's shafikmeji.com. And if you go there, I would suggest, I mean, you know, explore. It's not too complicated, but go definitely go to the articles, follow those articles like I talk about in the interview. You can read a whole bunch of what he's written, and it'll actually set you up really, really well um, for the next time I hope to speak to him more about the content of some of those because, there so, yeah, there's so much there for us to, to talk about. And this is the part where I meant to ask you to, uh, you know, to, to rate and review. And I really would appreciate it if you do. But I realize every show asks you to do that. And I love a whole bunch of shows and I never get around to it. So if you do do it, all the better. But what you can do is the equivalent of sort of buying a cup of coffee. Go on the supporter uh, link that's on your phone. And, uh, you know... It's really just about uh, making us feel a little bit loved and wanted. I think that's all it it really is. Uh, I'll be back very soon. It will actually be next month. And I have a very good idea of what the next show will be. But sometimes uh, things get cancelled. Sometimes things come up. Sometimes things surprise me. But don't be surprised if you hear another voice from Stretton. (laughs) 